forward to it. Let's pray and let's dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, that you wrote it down for us, the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know this book was written so that we could know you better, that we could understand the times that we live in. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Okay, this is the last book written by the Apostle John while banished to the island of Patmos. So at the time this book is written, it's about 90 AD, and all the apostles have been martyred with the exception of John. John was boiled in oil and didn't die, so Dalmatian banished him to the island of Patmos, this little tiny rock out in the, out in the ocean, and it, about 25 miles wide, this little rock out there. And he, from there, God gave him the book of Revelation. It's not Revelations, by the way. It's the Revelation. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. This is without a doubt the most misunderstood book and avoided book in the Bible. How many of you have ever been taught verse by verse through the book of Revelation? Raise your hand. About a third of the room or less. That means two-thirds of you have never been taught through it because a lot of churches just flat out avoid it. A lot of pastors are afraid of it. And let me just tell you right now, I think it's one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand. And I think that when we're done with this, if you come week after week, by the time we're done, you're going to understand this so clearly and it's not going to be any doubts or questions for you anymore. Again, the seeker-friendly church is not going to teach this. Christians avoid reading it. Pastors avoid teaching it. And I think that's sad. When most people think about the book of Revelation, the first thing they think about is prophecy. And with good reason. There's, I'm giving you an overview on the book. And then we're going to do an outline of the book. And then we're going to get into the first few verses of the book. But I want you to understand it. So end times prophecy, the rapture of the church, right? Those are things that we think about when we think about Revelation. We think about the scrolls, the seal judgment, the trumpet judgment, the vile judgments. We think about the two witnesses who are going to be struck down dead and are going to raise from the dead. We think about the 144,000, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, that these Jews that will be born again during the great tribulation and then will be used mightily to witness to a lost and a dying world after the church is gone. In the book of Revelation, you see dragons and serpents, a seven-headed beast, with 10 horns. We see the millennial kingdom about, uh, again, and while revelation is a rich source of truth and the end times, end times, when you hear the word eschatology, it just means end times or the last days. It contains more details about the end times, again, than any other book in the Bible. But it also portrays Christ's ultimate victory over Satan, the final political setup of the world system. And we, get, we need to be mindful of it because it's going on all around us. We're going to see the career of the most powerful dictator in all of human history, his name, his, who is the Antichrist. It mentions the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation, three and a half years of tribulation, and then three and a half years of the great tribulation, in the middle of which the Antichrist will proclaim himself to be God, and those who had been following him will recognize that they've been duped. We'll see Armageddon, 
the greatest battle in human history, the second coming of Christ, the thousand-year reign of the kingdom of Christ, and the final judgment of all unrepentant sinners at the great white throne judgment. Then we'll see the final state of the wicked who are cast into the lake of fire and the redeemed going into the new heaven and the new earth. But other than that, there's not much in this book, right? <laughs> book of Revelation rocks. It is so, so good. It's been spurned much over many times, and if you flip on, if you've got your outline, it's two-sided. Uh, turn to the side that says, uh, just says Revelation at the top, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, the word apox- apocalypse there means unveiling. Now imagine if somebody put a sculpture up here on the stage, but it was covered with a tarp. And you could see kind of what the shape was. And even if you felt it, you could kind of feel if it was hard, maybe what it was made of. And that's kind of uh, the picture that the world has of our Savior. And the book of Revelation removes the veil. And we're going to see in chapter 1 a clear picture of Jesus Christ in heaven. A picture different than the picture that we get of what he, looked, what he was like here on earth. And then there are four views on, how, on the way people interpret the book of Revelation. And these are not in, in depth by any stretch, but I want you to understand that different people look at the book of Revelation in different ways, and most of them, many of them are, are wrong. Most Christians have the same view that we have here at Calvary Chapel. We'll go into that at the end, but let me just give them to you quickly. The first one, they're called preterists. How many of you have ever heard of that term? Okay, a preterist is someone who believes that the book of Revelation already all happened in AD 70. And they believed with Nero or Dalmatian that the wickedness, that they were the type or the picture of the Antichrist. And they believed that everything in the book of Revelation already happened. That is just plain stupid. I'm sorry. If you believe that, God bless you. But no, because here's the reality. Did, did we see lions laying down with lambs? Amen? Do we see 144,000 people? Do we see this revival? Did we see the, the, the two witnesses? No. And, and, and it's really big amongst younger people. My, I have a family member right now that's caught up in this. He's like, well, well you know, it, it all was fulfilled in AD 70. Well, that makes a lot of sense, except the book was written in AD 90. And he's talking about future events. So preterists believe that it all happened already. And they and the amillennialists believe that we're in the millennium right now. So lions are laying down with lambs and Satan is chained. If Satan is chained, that brother's on a long chain. Can I get an amen to that? So that's the preterist perspective. There are people that believe that. They believe it already all happened. And this is more than, nothing more than just an historic book of things happened a long time ago. I don't believe that. Post-millennial believe that Jesus will return at the end of the millennial age. And Revelation is just a history of what's going on in the earth and it's gone on since the beginning of time. Again, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's people that believe that. You need to know that. Then amillennialism, that means no millennial. Anytime you put the word ah, the letter ah in front of something, it just means the opposite of. So an atheist, a theist, is someone who believes in God. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. An agnostic, gnostic means knowledge. Agnostic means I don't know. So when someone says, I'm an agnostic, what they're saying is, I don't know. 
right? And there's a, there's a word for that too. It's ignoramus. It's the same thing. So when I meet people that are arrogant, they come to me and say, well, I'm an agnostic. They think that's some elevator. I said, you just called yourself an ignoramus, bro. But no, so all millennial means there's no millennial reign. And they too have that, have construed all the events just to symbolize things. I don't believe any of that. Okay. Now, again, if you believe that and you're here, God bless you. I know there's a few people in here that are all millennialists because you called me on the phone and said, are you going to be fair to us? And I said, no, <laughs> I'm not because it doesn't make any sense. But look, my whole heart is I'm going to teach you from the perspective that probably 85 to 90% of all evangelicals hold, and that's premillennial. And here's what that literally means. It literally means that we believe that the book of Revelation is literal. And I want to say this about all of Scripture. You should always take it literally unless it's impossible to be literal. Does that make sense? There's a point in, the, in Revelation where it says these scorpions come out and they have fire coming out of them and they sting people and they die. And people say, oh, those are Apache helicopters that, you know, that are now created and they fly around and they spit out. And they say, what do you think it is? I think it's scorpions that come up out of the ground that spit out fire and people die. Because that's what the Bible says. Can I get an amen to that? And too often what people do is they take the Bible and they try to make it look like something else. And we need to take it literally unless it's impossible to be literal. Jesus says, I am the door because he's the way to salvation. We don't believe Jesus is a door, right? Okay, but he is the way to salvation. So we're going to look at this from a political premillennial perspective. And I want you to, I, my prayer is that when we're done with this, it'll make so much sense to you because it makes so much sense to me, I truly believe that Revelation is one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand. And I pray when we're done here, you feel the same. Now flip it over and we're going to look at the outline of Revelation real quick. Pray this will help you understand. And I believe the outline of Revelation is found in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19. Here's what it says. I write these things to those which you have seen and the things that are and the things that will take place. So the things that you have seen, the things that are taking place now, and the things that will take place. That's the outline for the book of Revelation. Well, the things that we have seen are in chapter 1. Chapter 1, we're going to see a clear picture of Jesus Christ. He's going to give us uh, the first eight verses, kind of this is what the book is going to be about. And then we're going to see a picture of Jesus. Now, I want to say this. I've already told Pastor Joshua I started teaching the book of Revelation. I got through the first few chapters and I had a major, uh, what I thought was a heart attack that ended up with a bot surgery and I was in the hospital for nine months and I never finished the book. So I told him, if I get hit by a bus after chapter two, Joshua, you need to finish the book. Can I get an amen to that? Because we're going to get through this and I'm telling you, I'm right, it's like I'm right back to where I was 12 years ago. And now this time, Lord willing, we're going to get through the book. Amen? Enemy doesn't want us to teach it. If I get hit by a bus and I'm hanging out in heaven, Joshua, finish the book. And you all hold him accountable. Can I get an amen to that? All right. So the things that we have seen. By the way, I was in the back of that ambulance and I had just taught Revelation chapter 1, the picture of Jesus in heaven. And in the back of that ambulance, I had so much peace because I thought I was about to see him face to face. And I prayed for my family, but I was ready to go. And I'll tell you what, when you're in the back of the ambulance, when you're going through the trials of life, that's the time when you're the most thankful that you know Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Because you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? 
So the things which we have seen, now the things which are. That's chapter two and chapter three. That is the church age. It's a letter to the seven churches. And we will see in depth these letters to these churches, the, the lukewarm church and the, the churches that have you know, lost their first love. And he's going to give description of these churches that are a description of the churches throughout history. Now at the end of chapter three, at the beginning of chapter four, he calls John up. And the word is where we get the word for rapture, to be snatched away. And from that point forward, we see John looking down upon the earth from chapter four to the end of the book. He's looking down upon the earth and giving a a heavenly perspective. And you see the church in chapter two and chapter three. And then you don't see the church mentioned again throughout the entire book of Revelation until we come back with the Lord at the end of the great tribulation. That's why it's so simple and so clear to me that we won't be here for the tribulation. Amen? We've been snatched away. We've been, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Harpazo or rapturo is the word, and we, it's the rapture. It's the snatching away of the church. God has not appointed us unto wrath. He's not going to pour out wrath on his own children. Now, I know there are people here that are mid-trib and, and people that have a different perspective, and God bless you guys, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can agree to disagree, and you're going to be really glad when I'm right, so you don't have to hang out for 120-pound hailstones falling out of the sky. Can I get an amen to that? But to me, it is so, so clear. It is so clear, and it's the reason that a vast majority of Christians are premillennial and pre-trib. And again, let me say this. We should not divide over this, okay? Amen? If you're here and you have, I know we have a lot of mid-trib and people say, well, pastor, I think we're going to go through some of it. I don't see that. I don't see it in Revelation when we go through some of it and then we get snatched away. It's just not the way that you look at the book of Revelation. I just don't believe that. But if you do, that's okay. Again, we can agree to disagree. It's not, a, it's not an issue of salvation, right? We're not going to divide over that. Amen? But I'm being real clear with you what I believe and what I believe the Bible clearly teaches, and I'm, that's what I'm going to teach because that's what I believe the Bible teaches. Amen? That makes sense? So all that being said, the book of Revelation, again, is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of the character and the person of God. It's centered around the visions and symbols of the resurrected Christ, who alone is the authority to judge the earth, to remake it, and rule in righteousness. The revelation of Jesus Christ describes him this way in the book of Revelation. He's the, faith, the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the living one, and that, and, and, there are verses that refer to the person of Christ, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the golden lampstand, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, the son of God, the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, the one who is holy and true, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb of God, the Lord, the holy and true, the faithful and true, the word of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Christ, and the bride and morning star, all that's in Revelation, and that's who our Savior is. Amen. Amen. That's our Lord. And so this book is a revel. All those things I just shared with you, the first and the last, that's in the Revelation. All the bright morning star, Revelation. All these things that we know about Jesus are seen in this book. 
The Bible rocks, amen? And so does our Savior. So, if you look down at the bottom, we're only going to get through about three verses this morning. I promise that we'll go through more, but I really wanted to take some time to give you an overview so that you can understand the whole book and the book that we're about to spend, again, the next six months or so, going verse by verse through the entire Bible. I think it rocks that we're starting Revelation on January 1st. It's a new year. It's a new day. By the way, get those uh, read through the Bible in a year on the back table there. I want to encourage you to read through the Bible with us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, the outline there I, at the very bottom of the second page there, where did I put it? Just a second. The very bottom of the second page, I tiled the message, Getting to Know Jesus Better. Look, I'm not a big person of New Year's resolutions because they're just New Year's failures. Can I get into that? I'm going to do 100 push-ups every day and 100 sit-ups every day. My third, he forgot. Amen? But here's a great one. The greatest, here's a great, great New Year's resolution. I want to get to know Jesus better this year than I've ever known him. Amen? And as believers, we're either getting closer to God or farther away from him. He doesn't move, we do. Let's make him the priority and the passion of our lives this year. Let's not be too tired to open up our Bibles. Let's not skip over devotions to watch Netflix, amen? Let's not allow other things to become more of a priority than our Savior. So I tell him the message, getting to know Jesus better, the Lord reveals more of himself and his character to those, first of all, who come to him with hearts of a servant, Number two, who boldly proclaim the truth to others. Can I encourage all of you, start praying for people by name. Start praying for divine appointments. Pray for people that you can share your faith with and watch what God will do. One of the things I used to do years ago, and I want to do it again, I used to go through my neighborhood and stop at every mailbox and pray for the people in that house and pray for an opportunity to share my faith. And it's amazing how God will answer that prayer. And then finally, he reveals himself more of himself and his character to those who obey his word in the anticipation of his soon return. When Jesus comes back, what do you want to be doing when he gets here? Amen? Like, we're, I would love for him to come when we're worshiping. Amen? I'd love for him to come when we're opening our word. I'd love for him to come when we're loving on our kids, when we're being salt and light in our workplace. I pray that when Jesus comes back, we are found busy about his work. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 1 of the revelation of Jesus Christ, looking first that he reveals more of himself and his character to those who come to him with the heart of a servant. Now it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. It's not the revelation of the last days, even though it's in here. It's not the revelation of the tribulation. It's not the re but it is. Those things are there. But this book is all about Jesus. So the people that don't read this book don't get to know Jesus as well as those that do. Amen? Why would we hold back on a book that says it reveals Jesus to us in a better way? Many Christians and entire uh, denominations avoid this book. They see it as too difficult to understand. In some cases, they say, think it's not relevant. But to avoid this book is a huge mistake. It reveals to us the prophetic truth, and more importantly, the person of Jesus Christ. Now again, that word revelation there is apocalypsis, where we get the word apocalypse. So the title of the book is the apocalypse. 
of Jesus Christ. But apocalypse, again, means unveiling. So the Bible tells us that we see him through a mirror dimly, and when we get to heaven, we'll see him more clearly for who he is. But the book of Revelation allows us to see more clearly who our Savior is, you know, how he is, what he appears like in heaven, but also his character and all he's done and who he is. Again, I just love that thought that there's a tarp and maybe we don't fully understand the Lord, but Lord, I pray as we go through this book that that tarp will be removed. This book is an unveiling of truth that is meant to be understood or reveals God's purposes to his church. And a couple of keys to understanding this book, and I'm going to do this homework for you, but here's some things that we need to understand this book well. Number one, you need to understand the Old Testament. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to understand Revelation. Of the 404 verses in Revelation, 278 make clear references back to the Old Testament. So the reason that Thursday nights take place in our church, and I know it's cold on Thursday night, put on a jacket and get out here to church. Can I get an amen? It's a new year. Turn the stinking TV off. Come out here and let's hang out with Jesus. Amen? But we're going through the Old Testament, and every page points to Jesus. And if you want to challenge me on that, you show me a page in the Old Testament, and I'll show you Jesus in that page. That everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the Lord. So for us to best understand Revelation, we must understand the Old Testament, and we can't understand the Old Testament if we don't read the Old Testament. Amen? Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, right? 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? So by the time you take the 278 Old Testament references that can be understood by going back to their origin, and I'm going to do that for you, and then so many places in the remaining verses, he gives us the meaning behind the symbols that we see in the text. And those references, the book clearly unfolds. It helps us to understand, to have a good knowledge of the Old Testament. We need to. Secondly, Revelation 1.19, as I shared, serves as the outline. I write these things which you have seen, things which, which are, and things that will take place after this. So the things that are, clearly, is chapter 2 and 3. We are in the church age right now. The church age started when Jesus died on the cross when he ascended back, rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, and when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people in Acts chapter 2, that was the beginning of the church age. And the church age does not end until the church is raptured and we are out of here. Amen? So chapters 2 and 3 is talking about the things which are, according to Revelation 1.19, and the things that are right now is the church. But when we get to the things that will come, and he's talking about future events, it only takes place after the church has been removed. These things will take place from chapter 4 on. The word after this is metatea or metateta, and some word uh, used in the book of Revelation 4 verse 1, the word after these things is giving us a clue that this division begins to describe the great tribulation and comes after the removal of the church. Now, this book also has a warning. You ready for it? Here it is. Revelation 22, 18 says this. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and the things which are written in this book. We're not to add to the book. We're not to take away from the book. He's talking about the book of Revelation, but really, that's true of the whole Bible. Amen? What do all the false teachers do? They add to the book, or they take away from the book. What did Joseph Smith do? He got a new book. He added to the book. What do the Jehovah's Witnesses do? They change the book, and then they have their, their, you know, their little pamphlets that they add to the book. You have people that have prophets that say, oh, this prophet has a new word in addition to the word of God. Guess what? Any prophecy done today will always agree with the word of God, will come from the word of God, and will never change the word of God, and will never add to the word of God. Amen? So this is the book. We need to understand it so we don't fall for the lies who add to it or take away from it. This book should not be handled haphazardly, adding one's own spin, removing portions that you struggle with. It needs to be handled with care, and if we are clear to understand it, why does Revelation speak so much of symbols and imagery? Here's a part of the reason. During the time this book was written, Christians were going through great persecution. And at that time, again, if they, when the, if they made you know, statements or things happened, they could be put to death. And part of the People believe that imagery and the symbols in the book so that believers can understand it and unbelievers would not. That being said, I believe every bit of the, of the stuff that's in the book of Revelation is something we can easily understand if we will use uh, what is called hermeneutics. And what that is is simply taking the word of God and studying it in a proper way to understand what it really means. Observe it, what does it say? Interpret it, what does it mean? And how does it apply to my life? And the best interpretation for scripture, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And that's why it's so important that we understand the Old Testament. And like I said, I'm more than happy to do all the work for you because I'm going to. As we go through the verses, I will show you in the Old Testament how it, what it clearly means, but I want you to know that that's why. And then finally, the revelation of Jesus Christ is not just an unveiling, but the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Again, greater detail comes as the veil is removed. Revelation removes the veil of Christ. His first incarnation, he came as a suffering Savior. Read Isaiah 52 and 53. Jesus came the first time as a suffering Savior. But he came to redeem us from our sins, to restore sinful man back to holy God, and he did so through his death, burial, and resurrection. And many people and their understanding of Christ, it just stops right there. Well, Jesus came, he was born a baby, he lived a sinful, sinless life, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he went back to heaven. And that's where they stop. Well, Revelation goes beyond that. Revelation fills in some of the blanks. Yes, he's a suffering savior who died in our place, who rose victoriously from the dead, but he's also, more than he has risen, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he possesses great glory, greater even than we saw at his first coming. In John 17, before he went to the cross, he said, Father, I would that you would, you, I, you, they, they could see my glory. He said, Lord, I wish they could just see my glory. You know, I had a glimpse of his glory. Remember Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, right? Mount of Transfiguration. They got a glimpse of his glory. And what did they want to do? They wanted to, you know, Peter wanted to build, you know, temples to them on the hill. Right? Because he saw the glory of God and it blew him away. And guys, I think we need a greater glimpse of God's glory. And this book is going to give you a greater glimpse of God's glory than you've ever had if you've never truly studied this book. 
we struggle because we limit the greatness of God. Guys, our God is greater than you think. And when we limit God, then we, our problems are great. But guys, we have a, you only have big problems if you have a small God. We don't have a small God. We have a great God. So our problems are nothing to the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God that we serve. Amen? So guys, when you spend time in the Word and you see the greatness of our God, begin your prayer with the greatness of our God. Lord, you're great. You hear me every time I pray up here. You're almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, King of kings, Lord of lords. Why do we pray that way? Because when we begin our prayer that way, everything we pray after it is simple for the one that we've just described. Amen? Well, prophetic it's prophetic concerning the end times. Primary purpose is to unveil the greater detail of Jesus Christ. See, he is the suffering servant, but he's the one and only, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, righteous and holy judge of all mankind. And again, it's not revelations, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book is written to reveal Jesus. Then it says the rest of that verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Now, God gave this revelation to his son. The book of Revelation is a gift from the Father, and it's, to, it's a reward for the perfect, humble, faithful, holy service that Jesus did on the cross for us when he lived on this planet, and the Father promised to exalt his Son. He said, I'm going to lift up your name, I'm going to exalt your name, and one of the ways that takes place is through the book of Revelation. Christ's exaltation is promised in the last portion of the passage, is described in detail in the book of Revelation. It contains a full disclosure of the glory that will be Christ at his return. Let me read this to you real quickly. It's in Philippians. You can look there later. I don't like you racing through the Bible. Girls eat potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. There it is. You'll never forget that now, see? Girls eat potato chips. Okay. Philippians 2, it says in verse 5, Let this mind be you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also was highly exalted and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." As we get to know Jesus better, we will re his glory will be revealed. We'll see the great greatness of our God. Again, this revelation promises to reveal the glory of Christ, which we will see at his second coming. At the rapture of the church, first we'll be snatched away. It says to show his servants. This is an important reason why God gave us the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's to show us. To get, God gave this revelation that it might be shown, not hidden. This, is, this apocalypse, this revelation is for, so that you and I, as we go through this over the next six months, we're going to get to know Jesus better than we ever have before. We're going to see, see him in greater detail than we ever have before. And to know him better is to love him more. Amen? So again, it's, the, the word apocrypha is something hidden. Apocalypse is unveiling. And again, he's showing it to his servants. Now remember who the servants are. We've talked about this a lot. The word here is doulos. The word doulos is somebody who is a, is a slave by choice. 
It's somebody whose debt has been paid. They were, they were enslaved to pay off a debt. When the debt was paid, they made a conscious choice to stay with their master because they loved their master so much. They did not want to leave. And so it's those of us who have been bound to Jesus Christ. We recognize that he's our master, but there's nowhere else we'd rather be than bound to him. Amen. And you know what? You don't want to leave if your master is good. And we serve a great master. And he's saying that this is for the doulos. These are for the servants. I've written this book so that they might understand. So that when the world around us starts, the stuff starts taking place that are the birth pangs towards what's coming, we don't panic because we've read the Bible and we know what's coming and we're not surprised by it. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like like they don't know God. We shouldn't be surprised when the things that the book of Revelation says will happen are happening. Amen? The Bible says in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. Are we living in that time? The Bible also says that in the last days, men and women will worship creation rather than the creator. Are people more worried about climate change and global warming or Jesus Christ? We're living in a time where it's pagan idolatry that we worship creation rather than the creator. Look, we're going to be good stewards of the earth, but this is not my mother, right? Mother God or mother nature or whatever, right? My mom's in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't worship the world and we don't, and again, be good stewards of the world, but they're all panicking about a, a one to two degree increase in temperature over the next 50 years. They need to be worried about millions of degrees of temperature for all eternity. That's what really matters. It's not global warming, it's eternal warming that people need to fear. Can I get an amen to that? And it's pagan idolatry, nothing less. And so we're not surprised because the Bible tells us in the last days, these things will be so. So when we see them happening, what does that tell us? It's rapture season. Can I get an amen? We don't know the day or the time, but we can know the hour. And he's exhorting them. The book of Revelation is given by the Father to show us the Son better, things which must shortly take place. This is why unbelievers find the book of Revelation incomprehensible. They don't get it. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can they know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Divine truth is hidden from worldly, the worldly wise, but is most clearly seen by and revealed to those who are his servants, who have surrendered their lives completely to the Lord. At the time of John's writing, it was a great encouragement to those who were being tortured for their faith. He's saying, look, as he writes this book, this book's for you to encourage you, to let you know that in the end, God wins. Amen? The next time you're discouraged, flip to the back of Revelation, read the last couple chapters and say, yay, God. Can I get an amen to that? Because we know in the end, everything that happens between now and then, in the end, God wins. Amen? I'm looking forward to the millennial kingdom. How about you? We're going to come back with the Lord and rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years, seeing what the world would be like with God in charge. Can I get an amen to that? All the politicians, gone. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? God's on the throne. God is faithful. We worship him. We don't have to make any more laws because he is the law. Can I get an amen to that? I can't wait. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Read the end of the book. Next time you're bummed out, right? Amen. So, so today, things look bleak at times. Rest assured, be encouraged. We're on the winning side. It says, things which must take place things which much shortly after take place. The word shortly there in ancient Greek 
means quickly or suddenly come to pass. So shortly, people will take that and say, well, see, they wrote this book 2,000 years ago and it hasn't happened yet. But the word shortly there really means quickly. When God starts bringing this about, it's going to happen quickly. And when it starts happening, it's not, there's no stopping it. Now, I will say this too, for those who are saying, well, it's been 2,000 years since this book was written. Well, the Bible says a day is to 1,000 years as 1,000 years is to a day to Almighty God. So it's been two days. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> right? And in creation, right, there were six days, right? And then on the seventh day, he rested. And guess what? It was 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, and 2,000 years from Jesus to us. And guess what? We're going to rule and reign with him on that Sabbath day here on the earth, which will be for 1,000 years. So God is right on time. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible rocks. So shortly, the idea here is, again, is it will be sudden. And once began, there will be a rapid execution of all these events. Jesus said three times, I am coming quickly. The soon and sudden return of Christ should motivate us to live holy and obedient lives. Guys, he's giving discernment to those who are his servant. The world mocks his coming. I remember flipping through the TV one time and the Simpsons were on. Don't watch that for theology. Can I get an amen to that? And every once in a while they have stuff on there and they were talking about instead of left behind, left below when they're mocking people who give their life to the Lord. The coming soon when the mocking will end and the righteous judgment will come suddenly and notes the, the hands this book passed through to, in order to end up on our, our laps this morning. You know what's amazing? Is it's, look, look, look how we got this book. Here's what it says. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So an angel brings the word to John John gets clarity of what the word says. He delivers it into his hands. He writes it down. It's been preserved, protected, and, and, may, you know, and put into a form that we can read for the last 2,000 years, and now it sits in our lap, and we should not take this book for granted. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise the Lord for, for the, the angel that brought it. Praise the Lord for this messenger, and praise the Lord for John, who bound by love, not by law, was the one who wrote it down. God used him. He was a tool in the hand of the master, and now it's been delivered to us. So it went from the father to the son to John. Now, it's interesting. The message, the message of delivery, again, he gave it to his heavenly messenger who delivered it to John. It ought to give us a sense of, the, of reverence for its prophetic content and an urgency in our hearts to uncover the truth within it. The word signified by his angel there can be signified, right, through signs or symbols, a method used by God not to hide the message from its recipients, but to unveil it and bring depth to it. So point number one there, the Lord reveals more of himself and his character to those who come to him with the hearts of a servant. Secondly, who boldly proclaim the truth to others. Look at verse two, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ in all things that he saw. And this is talking about John, who bore witness to the word of God. The messenger came from the angel. He gave it to John. He bore witness to the truth of who Jesus is and the things that he saw. John the apostle who Jesus loved. Remember in the beginning, there were two sons of thunder in the Bible. Who were they? James and John. And that was not a compliment. 
That means they just flew off the handle. They were quick to smoke things. Just bring fire down, God, and smoke them all, right? That was John, right, early on. They also argued amongst themselves which one of them was the greatest when they're walking around with Jesus. Dude, you're not getting it. Can I get amen to that? You're arguing which one of you is the greatest. Jesus is right in front of you. It's him, bro. Let me clue you in. It's not you. And they were arguing who was the greatest. But in the end, he went from a son to thunder to the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the one who had his head on the chest of our Savior at the Last Supper. He was the one that in describing himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved was not out of arrogance, but out of awe and reverence that Jesus would love a man like him. He was the last one and the only apostle that was there at the cross. He was the one who Jesus looked down and said to him, Mary, your son, John, your mother, earthly mother. He, John was the one that Jesus had to take care of his earthly mother after he went to heaven. And why? Did, why? Because John was this apostle whom Jesus loved. He was a man who understood the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the love of God. By the time he writes this book, he's been boiled in oil, but didn't die, according to tradition. He's been put on an island. He could have been moaning and complaining. Instead, God's using him to write this book for us. Guys, we should never take that for granted. Amen? So he's the apostle whom Jesus loved, the one-time son of thunder who cared for Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, who faithfully under the Holy Spirit's inspiration gave testimony to his gospel, his first coming, and again, his human incarnation. He bore witness to all that he had seen. So what I want you to know is that everything in this book and everything that John wrote in the Bible are things he had seen. So God's going to give him a picture of this. After he calls him up, he's going to see this clearly taking place, something that won't take place for a great deal of time. So he's seeing this movie, he's seeing this picture, he's writing it all down as God by the Holy Spirit allows him to do. The Gospel of John, all he witnessed walking with Jesus for three years, and in Revelation, all he witnessed in the vision given to him on the island of Patmos, these things testified to him by his Holy Spirit angel. John bore witness, not of thoughts or opinions, but the word of God. When you share your faith, your opinions, not so much. Why don't we just give them the word of God? Amen? People get frustrated with me, but Pastor Dave, I want to know what you think. I'm like, no, you don't. But just tell me what you think. Let me just tell you what the Bible says. Then I tell what the Bible says. Yeah, but what do you think? Do you think I'm smarter than God? You're really stupid if you think that. Can I get an Amen. So the word of God is true, and we want the testimony of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, as it says there in that verse. It's synonymous with the word of God, since Jesus is the word. The Lord reveals more of himself, first, to those who come to him as servants, and those who boldly proclaim the truth to others. It said that John told people about Jesus. I know, how many of you, is it hard for you to share your faith? Let's be honest. Okay, it's hard. And you know why it's hard? Because we're listening to the temporal. We're listening to what the world says to us. We're trying to figure out if we're going to have answers to every question that they have. But when we get to heaven, uh, the things that we will regret on judgment day, we won't have the white throne judgment, but we will have the bema seat judgment where we judge for the gifts God's given us. And the grief we will have is that there are people that we just never took the time to share our faith with. And guys, we got to get past being popular with men and have more of a concern for their eternity than having them like, like us this week. Can I get an amen to that? And just start, look, I love, I was, uh, there's a 
forget what the series was, but he talked about unbelievers in a way I'd never thought of before, and he called them captives. He said they're captive to their sin, and they need to be set free, and we've got the, the, the key that will open the door to set them free, and the key is Jesus. It's not us, and they're held captive. Instead of looking down upon them as vile people, just recognize they're captive. We once were. Jesus set us free. They need to be set free, and we have the answer. We have the key, and his name is Jesus Christ, and it's so selfish for us to keep it to ourselves. Amen? Lord, help us to be unashamed of the gospel and to share it openly. Finally, point number three there, who obey his word in anticipation of his soon return. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written in it for the time is near. I love this. That's a great verse. If you have your own Bible there, underline that verse because that is significant. First, he says, blessed. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are those who read this book, those who hear the words of this book. Oh, how happy. Oh, how blessed are those who read it. The book of Revelation offers a, uh, a particular and unique blessing to those who read it, hear it, and keep it. By the way, often we read it, or we hear it, but then we don't keep it. Amen? Open it, read it, obey it. Can I get an amen to that? You know, if you just read the prescription and you read what it says and you see what it tells you to do and you don't do anything with it, you're not going to get healed by that, right, man? And the same is true for us. We open it, we read it, or we hear it, but we don't do anything about it. My prayer is that we leave here every Sunday as we go through Revelation, even closer to the Lord and more determined to walk in faithful obedience to Him. Amen? Now, in the early church, this is, this is telling us, people have said this to me, why, do pastor, why is there one person teaching on a Sunday and everybody else listening? I think we should all just share whatever we want to say. Yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Amen? <laughs> And just let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. Throughout Scripture, we see these examples, and here's one of them. Blessed is, notice someone who reads it and those who hear it. So somebody's reading it, and other people are listening to him, right? Amen? He who reads it and those who hear the word. So I'm reading it, you're hearing it, we're doing what this verse says. So we're doing the reading and the hearing, but now we got to do the keeping. Amen? Early church service, the common practice, when they gathered, one person would read the scriptures aloud, all would hear it. Notice, and the word, it's interesting, the one who reads is singular, and those who hear is plural. And to our modern way of speaking, John might say, blessed is the pastor who teaches the book of Revelation, and blessed is the congregation that hears it, and blessed are they as they go out and do it. Can I get an amen to that? So this morning, oh, how happy we should be on this uh, you know, new year, we should be happy because we're obeying the word of God and what it says right here. We must go beyond reading and hearing to keeping the word. It's not enough to read and hear. We must put what we've learned into practice. And sadly, many today neglect to read it all together. And entire denominations have chosen to omit revelation from its teachings and its scheduled readings. It's just too difficult to read and to hear. They don't want to hear it. Guys, I love the book of Revelation. It's one of my, you know what my favorite book in the Bible is? The one I'm reading right now. Can I get an amen? Like, which one's your favorite kid? All of them, right? And I love all 66 books in the Bible, and they're all amazing. Paul said to the Ephesian elders this, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. 
That means if we don't teach the whole counsel of God, we're guilty of the blood of all men. And that's why we are verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We read it all, we teach it all, and we don't apologize for any of it. Can I get an amen to that? Because the whole, nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. We must go beyond reading and keeping, adhering to keeping. Exhorts in Scripture are meant to do more than just stir us up. They're meant to ignite and deepen our belief that is reflected in our behavior. And sadly, too many messages go in one ear and out the other. People ask me, why are you so repetitive? And I'll always respond, what did I teach last Sunday? There you go, that's why. Can I get an amen to that? Why do you have to teach us over and over? Because we don't get it, right? Amen? We need to read it. We need to open it and read it, obey it. So again, to read, to hear, to keep the things written in this prophecy, John's exhortation comes with a promise of those who do so, and it's, oh, how happy they will be. Real happiness and blessings are fruits of obedience. The highest form of worship is obedience. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs. See, you know what? Worship is amazing and it's wonderful and we should worship him and he's worthy to be worshiped. And worship is one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. But do you know the greatest form of worship is to obey what God says? It's us telling him that we love him and that we trust him. By the way, he's smarter than all of us. And he doesn't give us rules to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. He's not testing you by taking away things that are good from you. He is showing you how to live by taking away and keeping you from things that will destroy you. That's our God. Amen? We should trust him. Too many professing Christians live joyless, contentious, and embittered lives. As believers, we should be happy. Amen? 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 Amen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy right? And so as Christians, if you walk around like you've been sucking on lemons and you're bummed out about life and everything, you know, guys, Christians, we don't take three steps and hit ourselves with a board every three feet to prove that we love God. I'm just being wounded for the Lord. No, as believers, you're going to heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We ought to be doing backflips every time we get out of bed in the morning because we have Jesus. Amen. And guys, when we lose sight of that, that's when depression, anxiety, fear, and all those things come creeping in. And guys, keep our eyes on him. He's a faithful God. There's those who ignore God's word altogether or they refuse to apply what's read. And when we take the time to realize all God has done and all the faithful men and women of God who've gone before us to keep us this incredible privilege of holding the perfect, holy, living, breathing word of God in our hands. How can we not open it, read it, and obey it? Can I get an amen? We have plenty of those through the Bible in a year. I want to encourage you, grab one on your way home. Much of the church today, Christian homes, marriages, and families struggle are fruitless and anemic because they do have abandoned the word of God. God is faithful to his word and his promises and his blessings to those who not only read it, but they keep the word of God. Guys, we should be living it every day because he's coming back very soon. And again, we don't know when that is, but when he comes, I pray that he will find us busy about his work. And I pray that we will all hear these seven words, well done, now good and faithful servant. That's the best 401k going. Can I get amen? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to respond in obedience to what we read, and then we know that we will be blessed. And may we do so with a sense of urgency. Notice, let me finish with this, because he says there at the end of it, because the time is near. The time is near. The time is at hand. 
Romans 13 says the night is almost gone and the day is near. In Hebrews 10 it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider the order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as the day is approaching. It says in 1 Peter 5, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Lord, help us to be watching, not napping. Amen? Help us to be busy about your work. We got a vapor of time. There's just this little speck of time in eternity. Lynette and I, it's our, by the way, it's, she's pinching children. It's our 38th anniversary today, my wife and I. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I am so blessed, and she's a gift from God, and I, I, I'm glad that God made her for me because I am so incredibly blessed that she's my wife. But we were just talking about Mark yesterday. It comes up, right? We're driving around, just the two of us, and we're talking about Mark, and we got tears running down our face. And what we constantly remind each other of is we've only got this much time left here and an eternity with the Lord and all those that we love that have gone before us. Can I get an amen to that? It's just a little time away and then eternity together. And every day that we spend on this planet is one day closer to seeing our Savior and one day closer to being with those that we love that have gone before us. And every day we should be using it for His glory and for His kingdom. Amen? Guys, not only reading but hearing your word but keeping it, living every day in anticipation of His soon return. If God's word has convicted you, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. It's, it's time to quit being a lukewarm Christian. The Bible says, it says, be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. It's time for us to be on fire for God, to be unashamed of the gospel. I pray that 2023 would bring revival in every single person sitting in a chair's life today, and it would bring revival to the place around us. And I pray that when God provides another building for us or whatever happens, that we, were, that, that we will fill this place with people who are on fire for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And you know what? May we wake up. May we go beyond reading and hearing. And you know what? Let me close by praying for all of us here. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would not be satisfied with where we are in our walk with you. And Lord, as we continue to go through this book verse by verse in the coming months, Lord, as we see just a, a church age, as we see Jesus next week, Jesus revealed the picture of him in heaven. Lord, we long to see him face to face, and we're so thankful that that day is coming soon and very soon. But help us, Lord, to live every day in light of eternity, to recognize, Lord, that there's a day coming when it will be too late. We just have a vapor of time to be about it for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, I pray for anybody here today who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Salvation doesn't come by going to church or doing good works, but by repenting, turning away, recognizing we're sinners, surrendering our life, and making Him not just Savior, but our Lord. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you've never done that before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now just by raising your hand. And I will pray with you if you've never done that. And you can know for sure that when you leave this place, that you're born again and that you're going to heaven. If that's anybody here at all, raise your hand. I'll pray with you right now. Anybody. Don't leave here without the Lord. 
Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. As we go to this time of communion, looking back to the greatest act of love in all of human history, the cross of Calvary, Lord, I pray that we would take some time to look back on our own lives, to look back to the cross of Calvary and remember the greatest act of love and to look within at our lives today, to examine our hearts before you. If confession needs to be made, may we confess it even now. And then, Lord, also to look forward to the day when we will have this supper with you in heaven. We long for it, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, they're gonna pass out the elements now. I just want you to hold on to them. And as I said, take some time to remember the cross. Take some time to, to examine your own heart before the Lord. If this needs to be a time of confession and getting right with him. And also to remember the fact that again, we will have this with him in heaven.